COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa Cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 158 of Confessions of a Marketer, Marketing Operations. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Naomi Liu is here to discuss marketing operations. We'll get to that in a moment. Next time, I have a really important discussion with Ian David on ageism in advertising and marketing and his collective called Fearless. And coming soon, Nara Perez, Travis Chambers, Marty McDonald, David Etheridge, Nicholas Vandenberg, Keith Cartwright, Ritus Loris, and Michael Mathias. That takes us through the end of August, and then we're planning some really interesting discussions for season four of Confessions of a Marketer. As always, stay with us. Lots of fun in store. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, on to Naomi Liu. It's hard for me to sum up our discussion. It's really about so much more than marketing operations. We talk about her background, how she views marketing operations, how marketing operations interacts with the rest of marketing, the key skill sets for marketing ops, and balancing the right brain and left brain. In addition, and here's where we go really beyond the subject, we learn about her journey as a woman in tech and how she has battled imposter syndrome. Plus, we explore the idea of being a boundary spanner, and I think it's clear Naomi is one. This was a wonderful discussion. It was so great to catch up with a colleague from a decade ago. Let's get to it. Naomi, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. You know, after all these years, it's great to chat again and wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mark. We worked together up until about 10 years ago at a security firm. And when I started there, 
people said, if you want to get anything done, get in touch with Naomi. And that's the way I've always viewed you. You, <laughs> you are someone who gets stuff done. I'm definitely, I'm a doer. You tell me what you need and I'll get it done for you. <laughs> so share your background. Obviously, I know where you used to work and share your background and your current role. Yeah, definitely. So I would say that I came into my career in a bit of an unconventional way. So mm-hmm. I've always had a strong technical aptitude. And, you know, an example is like I taught myself how to code HTML as a kid and built my first website when I was 12 or 13. And I've just always been fascinated with computers and that you could input something into this box and it would do what you told it to do. Yeah. But, you know, despite my strong affinity for technology, I just always loved and still love the arts. So anything to do with photography and architecture and the performing arts. So when I graduated high school and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, I was at a bit of a crossroads, right? So I had applications into art school. I was thinking that I would make commercials and do something like photography Mm -hmm. or art directing. And I also had applications in to study uh, computer science. Um, So I actually, the choice was made for me because I was rejected from art school. (laughs) Okay. That's one way to start off. Exactly. So I ended up going to study computer science. Um, Yeah. But after kind of entering the program and, you know, just kind of going through some of the courses and a few semesters, something just really didn't sit well with me. It was just kind of like a... I don't know, a je ne sais quoi, I guess you could say. So I switched to communications with a focus in marketing and the rest, I guess you could say, is history. Um, yeah. But currently I am the director of global marketing operations at Electronics for Imaging or EFI for short. And yeah. I've spent the last 12 or 13 years of my career working in the enterprise B2B software space for international technology companies. And what I really like about marketing operations is that it allows me to exercise both the right and left side of my brain. Yeah. And I think that's, we've, we've discussed the left and right Mm -hmm. brain on this podcast. And I've at least found working in marketing for longer than I want to admit that it is where a lot of those lobes come together. You have creative people and you have very analytical people and you have certain people that have both in them. And it's a really fascinating combination. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think that, you know, depending on the kind of the maturity of the company or the size of the company, you often sometimes Sometimes those companies will have one person doing kind of wearing multiple hats and doing all of it, but larger organizations or organizations that are a bit more mature in their readiness to accept marketing operations, they can really spin that off as its own role because you kind of need to kind of meld those two pieces together. Folks who are, you know, on the creative end coming up with campaigns and content and all of this stuff, they need somebody to really kind of lay that foundation and build that for them on the technical side and make sure all of the pieces are working well together. Yeah. So tell me what marketing operations is all about. Yeah. So I would say that different companies have different definitions because the marketing operations space is still defining itself. Um, If you were to 10 years ago, Mark, when you and I worked together, (laughs) right? Or even five years ago, you know, if you tried to explain what marketing ops was, you would get wildly different definitions from different people, right? Because it's an area of discipline that is 
still evolving and it's still defining itself. And part of it, I think, is based on a combination of the size of the company, their acceptance, and like I mentioned earlier, maturity when it comes to accepting marketing operations as not just a cost center, but also a revenue driver, right? So Mm -hmm. at a high level, I think it's a combination of what I like to call the holy trinity or the marketing ops trifecta, and that's optimization, governance, and adoption. And optimization is basically you're optimizing the marketing technology stack within an organization. You're governing the usage, especially as it relates to data and ensuring that all of the tools in your stack are well adopted within the company. And in business terms, the marketing teams, I like to say, are like the house, while marketing operations is the foundation that keeps everything solid and stable. Hmm. I've always found, well, always, in the last several years, I've seen a conflation of marketing automation Mm -hmm. and marketing operations. Mm -hmm. Is that just because people are just enamored of technology and they they hear about automation and they think, well, that must be what marketing operations is about? I think, well, yes and no, right? So I think that most people will start their career in marketing automation because let's say you have a small or medium-sized business and you're at a point where, okay, the MailChimps and the constant contacts and the batch and blast kind of email tools are not really fitting your business needs anymore and you it's time to upgrade to something that has more automation to it. So then you have the person who's now all of a sudden responsible for something like a HubSpot or an Eloqua right. or a Marketo and they are wearing dual hats, doing demand gen, but also doing marketing automation using the tool. And when you have tools like that, it's not so much just a Let's plug it in, set it and forget it, right? Because with these tools, they will often integrate into many different tools within your organization, probably your CRM, right? Salesforce, EFI is a Salesforce Marketo shop, but also integrate into various other pieces within your organization. And that takes maintenance, right? That takes time. It takes refinement, making sure that things don't go down, making sure that any changes to your CRM are accurately reflected in your marketing automation platform. And so at some point, as the business grows and as the company grows, those two things that used to be together will diverge, right? You'll have somebody who will handle your marketing automation platform, right? But then you'll also have responsibilities around marketing operations because it's no longer just that singular platform, right? It's everything else that integrates into it. Yeah. You said a moment ago that marketing operations can help a company generate revenue or worse to that effect. Is that something that you could expand on? And does it arise from, uh, you know, tracking traffic on a website, uh, open rates where people are clicking, all the all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think part of it goes right back down to the data, right? I'm a big advocate of the fact that there's nobody that's going to be closer to your customer data than your marketing operations team, even more so than sales, right? Because we see everything. We see everything that everybody's doing. 
we see everything, like all of the activity, all of the engagement, we're probably going to be the first person to see buying signals or buyer's intent as they raise their hands, you know, even before they fill out a form, right? So if we have known visitors in our database and we see that they're engaging with all of the stuff, but maybe they haven't raised their hand yet, is there anything that we can do proactively to get them to kind of go over that finish line, right? optimizing things that, so helping our marketing teams, for example, also optimizing their their digital spend, right? Because we can tell them for every dollar you put into this campaign, you're getting this much out. So you should focus on these five things and not do the rest if budgets are an issue, right? So there's different ways that we impact revenue. And as the marketing operations definition kind of evolves, there's been kind of this shift in the industry to actually shift it from marketing operations to revenue operations or business Mm -hmm. operations, because the teams are no longer just, at least for my team as well, we're no longer just supporting marketing. We support back of the house stuff in terms of, you know, IT things, financial things. We support internal communications. We support our professional services teams, our support teams. It's not always just marketing. It's a lot of it is also like customer success and other groups that impact revenue as well. It shows the the central role that technology and data have taken in marketing, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Data is huge, especially with all of the rise of the data governance and all the legislations that are coming in. It's it's really important that a marketing operations team has a good handle on all of those laws as well. Yeah, when I started this podcast almost three years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to talk about marketing, right? And it turns out pretty much every episode, data gets mentioned because it's so important. It is absolutely important and and super critical because without good data, how do you run good campaigns, right? Your data is going to be the backbone of any campaign and how successful it is. And I know as someone mainly on the creative side of the business, I've always been interested in performance. And this goes back to when I worked in radio and I would be interested in how, you know, commercials on the air performed. And then when I got into marketing, I'd be interested in in open rates on emails 25 years ago. And, you know, that stuff was hard to get back then. And then web trends and, you know, now Google Analytics and all that. I'm, I'm always interested in, in how things perform, not just in the creative product. I think it makes for better creative. Yes, because you're, you're actively seeing and getting that feedback, right? As to yeah. what people are engaging in and you can refine your talk track or your methods or whatever it may be based on you know, how you see things are performing in real time. So let's talk about the role of marketing operations in marketing as a whole. How do you interact with the rest of the marketing organization? Yeah, that's a good question. So I can't speak for other organizations, but the way that I run my team is like a, I guess you could call it like a centralized agency within the Mm -hmm. company. So across our landscape of tools, there are some pieces of technology where there is, I would say, minimal intervention that is needed by myself or my team. And for the most part, our marketing and business partners are able to be fairly self-sufficient with the tool, just with a little bit of you know, internal training and some ongoing best practices and mindshare, right? And that's great. But other tools like our CRM and marketing automation platform, they take significantly more technical knowledge and expertise. And in these situations, we intake projects and work with them to build out their campaign. So 
the best way that I can describe it is that our my marketing business partners are the architects and we are like the general contractors, right? So give us mm-hmm. your blueprints and we'll make your vision come to life. Additionally, I also just try to stay, you know, on top of what their initiatives are and evaluate what they're trying to do against our tech stack because the way I see it, it's not a situation of, okay, these are the tools that I like and that I think we should use. And now I'm going to force everybody to use it. It doesn't, it's not like that at all. It's, you know, every year I'm looking at all of the tools available to us and asking myself, A, does it integrate and play nicely with others? B, is there internal adoption? And how much effort does it take to maintain this tool? And is it still meeting business needs? Because I don't want to pay for something that people aren't using. And if there are, tools and technology out there that will better serve what we're trying to do, then that's something that I will definitely look at. Is everything you use SaaS now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, when I, the last time I worked inside a company was when you and I worked together and there was a mix. There was some SaaS, but it was not that much. And then, you know, I know we did a huge installation of a content management system. And there was, I think there was a marketing automation system Mm -hmm. going in on hardware in the data center back then. But, you know, boy, just 10 years later, the way you run marketing is completely different. So it gives you more flexibility. If you want to switch a system, you're not talking about having professional services people come in and install an application. It gives you a lot more flexibility as a manager, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, so the the tool that you're talking about when you and I worked together, yes, it was an on-prem solution that was installed on servers, definitely. In terms of professional services, it depends, right? So I still engage with professional services to varying degrees, depending on the technology that we're that we're implementing or making changes to. And a lot of it is going to be dependent on how much customization you're going to do to it and the internal resources that you have available to you, right? Because there is very rarely going to be a, let's say we're talking about marketing automation platforms, there's very rarely going to be a marketing automation platform that is going to meet 100% of a business's needs, right? And Whenever I do evaluations like this, I'm not looking to find a vendor that's going to check all those boxes, right? Because that's unless you're building something homegrown, that's just not going to happen. And so if I can find a vendor that's going to bring me 85, 90% of the way there, that's great. And then the remaining 10%, it's a matter of, okay, are these customizations that we need are they really valid? Like, why are we doing something? Are we doing this because we just That's always, why we, yeah, yeah, we, we're just yeah, used yeah. to it, right? Or what is best practice? You know, can we change our business process? And hopefully that 10% or 15% shrinks to half. And then the remaining, you know, red flags or must-haves, deal breakers, those are things that we can then customize. But that's kind of the approach that I go into any evaluation with. I'm interested in... in talking about your career a little bit and what skill sets you have honed over the course of your career from when you started to now? Are there things that you didn't think you could do or felt you were weak in where you think you're strong in now? I feel like there have been a lot of skills that I've had to hone over the course of my career. Um, And I think if you were to, you could possibly group them into two categories, right? So tangible and intangible. And Mm -hmm. I would say that on the intangible side, there are two big ones for me. The first one is definitely change management, right? I 
you know, I, I saw something the other day, actually, I think it was on Instagram. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a video of a cheetah, right? Chasing, yeah. changing direction on a dime by using its tail to just propel itself in the direction it wanted to go while it was running at high speeds. And it kind of like spoke to me a little bit, right? Because I knew I was talking to you today and I was like thinking about this. And, you know, I feel like anytime you introduce a new tool, a new concept or a new process into an organization, especially a large one, like the one that you and I used to work at and like at EFI too, change can be slow. And I've had to learn how to kind of speed that up, right? By preparing the teams, educating them, equipping them to be, you know, allies in helping me steer the ship in a different direction. Because inherently, I think people are maybe adverse to change, right? And so it's about getting them all on the same page and like, let's, let's all course correct together because then it'll just be more efficient. And the second I would say is to hire people who are smarter than me in areas that, you know, I'm just less fluent on and feeding off of each other's knowledge to help the company not only benefit, but also just the entire team. And then on the tangible side, I would say it's things like, you know, technology evaluation, contract negotiations, presenting to the SLT, things like that. So Yeah, which comes with experience, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about the right left brain thing again for a little bit. How do both sides of the brain play into marketing operations, you know, collaborating with the creative side of the house and then having to use numbers and Excel and spreadsheets and all that other stuff on the other side? Yeah. So in many organizations, I think you're usually going to have a business lead and on the IT side and IT lead that work together on projects, right? And so the business lead will usually take use cases that the IT lead will need to translate into IT terms and vice versa. But whenever you have two people that don't necessarily speak the same language trying to work on a project, there's always going to be something lost in translation or you can't see, you know, four points down the line to see potential points of failure because there's two people coming at something from different angles and you're not seeing both sides. I think that because I can be both people and be both sides of the house, it helps to streamline things a lot. If, for example, one of my marketing business partners comes up with an amazing idea for a campaign that's outside of the box and different from what we would normally do. It's my job to make sure that we can properly execute it, collect all the leads, and then report on the effectiveness, right? It's, they're trying to essentially build an extension to their house and I need to make sure that it's structurally sound, right? And yeah. I feel like sometimes there can be problems when you have like the right and left side of the brain are two different people, but when you have them as the same person or there's someone that has the ability to kind of toe that line and be that translator between IT and the business, it helps significantly because you're able to see the full picture. Yeah, it's it, it can be the uh, a tug of war though, can it? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, between, between those two sides because, you know, one side sees reality and one side sees what could be reality. And, and mm -hmm. how do you balance those? I think it's communication and education, right? Yeah. So if my, one of my, for example, if, you know, when you and I were working together, if you came to me and said, hey, Naomi, I have this amazing idea for a campaign and this is what I want to do. And you map out this, you know, amazing initiative. It's my job to say, okay, this is what's possible with what we have. And this is what 
we can do based on the time, your timeline, and this is what is realistic, right? So it's kind of taking the marketing team's initiatives and transcribing it into reality. And it can be definitely sometimes a a tug of war because you'll get folks that say, well, I don't understand why this isn't possible. And then trying to explain in layman's terms doesn't always right go over smoothly and it's and then it just be, it can become like this frustrating thing between teams so it's just important to be able to balance that like how technical or deep in the weeds do you want to go but then also to not just shut it down but give them potential alternatives right based on what you can offer yeah do you still help creatives and content people with subject lines i remember <laughs> you were really good at that <laughs> um sometimes you know there's just <laughs> where it's it's definitely lower on my priority list these days <laughs> but uh if i see something i'll i'll, I'll usually will say something like hey you know yeah. maybe we should try something else but yeah one of the things when we connected a couple of months ago and i asked you to be on here i had seen on a podcast and you talked about your journey as a woman in technology and i would love to hear that what's your experience been like over the course of your career yeah, that's a great question. I think that being a woman in tech, there have definitely been situations where I've been in situations that have made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. or situations where I felt the need to prove myself more than my male counterparts, you know? However, I don't think that these are limited to just being in the tech industry, right? I feel like it happens in all industries and I would have to say that overall my experience has been generally positive because I've had the opportunity to work with many men who I would consider allies when it comes to equality. Mm. But the other thing I definitely do battle as a woman in tech is mainly internal and it revolves around imposter syndrome. And I don't feel that imposter syndrome takes away from my work, but it's feeling like an imposter that makes me think it does. Right. I'm not sure if that kind of makes sense, but overall, I think it does limit me in some ways and I'm trying to work past it. And I realize that those two statements are a bit contradictory, but it's a complex thing. Right. And a lot of it is internal dialogue. I have a, a really good friend of mine who she's actually a clinical psychologist and I've had conversations about this at length with her. And she said something to me one time when we were talking that just really resonated with me, right? And she said that, you know, highly intelligent people have imposter syndrome because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I'm like, wait a minute, highly intelligent, tell me more. <laughs> right? yeah. So, yeah. But it just, that kind of statement really just resonated with me because I really feel that that is true because the more I know, the more I learn, the more I absorb, the more I'm just like, wow, there's so much I don't know. And then you start feeling those feelings of imposter syndrome and, and like, but it's completely normal, apparently. So, yeah, but you you know, the rational side of your brain can tell you, well, I know a lot of stuff. (laughs) And then when you're, you know, when you're laying down at night or, you know, on your commute and you're thinking or you're running or, you know, whatever it is you're doing, that's when the other dialogue can come in is, yeah, but there's a shitload of stuff I don't know. Yes. Exactly. And it can feel overwhelming, right? Because, and I don't know if you feel this way too, but there's like so much technology out there, so much information, so many ways you can hone your craft. And you're just like, how am I going to get to it all? How do I become an expert and conquer everything? And you just have to kind of realize that it's not possible. Yeah. So that brings me, this is a, a, a really valuable discussion. And as a man, I don't feel I can't sit on here and talk about it myself. So it was very valuable and I appreciate you sharing that. It brings me to the final topic for discussion. And that is a concept called a boundary spanner covered in an HBR article that says 
every marketing group needs one. Do you think that's you? I think so. You know, when I first read that article, I had never heard that term before. And I was when I was reading it, I was like, hey, that sounds like me. <laughs> a spanner, though, in, in the UK is a wrench. So that's, <laughs> when I first read it, I was like, oh, you need a boundary? And I guess you do in a way, right? I mean, <laughs> the term boundary spanner doesn't really have that ring to it. That It doesn't yeah. really roll off your tongue, right. right? But, you know, it was not something that was in my vocabulary before, but I think that it really makes sense. You know, I've put a lot of time equity into developing a solid relationship with my IT team. And I've also developed a relationship where they trust that I can you know, lead not just a product evaluation, but an implementation end to end because, you know, on the business side, I'm going to design a solution for my business partners that have mm-hmm. ideally minimal business downtime, but maximum business results, yeah. right? But on the IT side, I'm also trying to balance like long-term scalability, thinking about data governance, support, scalability, so that we don't have to go through this, you know, two years from now. Mm-hmm. So it's about... It's kind of the same thing we were talking about earlier about kind of towing that line and being that translator between IT and the business, spanning that boundary, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, Naomi, it's been great catching up with you. And I think my listeners will really get a lot out of this interview. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right. Next time, Ian David on Ageism. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Stay healthy and see you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.